Pathway Studios in Johnston proper. You are live from the past. Yes, yes. That's us. <laughs> I'll start asking us a question, so we got something to jump off from. Apparently so. Uh, hey, here's what we got going on the show today. Hey, so and I'm going to give. I don't mean I don't really don't want to give this away. I feel like this is a uh, this is how you keep people on because you got you got a uh, what, what am I thinking of? You can build some momentum, uh, some suspense. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing: the results are in from the fa- uh, the life in the path Facebook poll. The question, oh, buddy. question oh. was Buva has never heard of Pat, Pat Sajak of yes. Wheel of Fortune fame, have you? And after I mean let's just go a decent number of votes. It's ninety three percent to seven. And was, uh, wait a minute. How many how many votes were there? Fourteen. Oh, buddy. So we're, we're going to call that a landslide. So I was the only one to vote no. <laughs> you were the lone person to have not have heard of Pat Sajak. How Sajak? am I the only one who's <laughs> never heard of Pat Sajak? <laughs> Did you look him up? No. What? You still haven't taken him in? No, I haven't taken him in. You're missing out on that. I know, see, here's the deal. <laughs> I know the show, but like, I didn't know the name. What, do you, what, do you, what goes on right when they start Wheel of Fortune? They go, and the host, and you like, what? I have never years, run once away? intentionally watched a show of Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> do you know Vanna White? Uh, the the gal, yes, the gal who does the the letters, right? Boy, live such a sexist uh, 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 life. The gal that does the, is she not identified you as a re- gal? You remember the woman, but not the dude. Oh, how okay. Interestingly, that I'm sexist against men. Um, yeah, no, I just I've heard her name a thousand more times in my life than I've heard Pat Sajak's. I'd like to go on the record. She is more attractive than him. That's true. I would agree with that statement. I have looked at her more than him. <laughs> When I, I was I, I, that's fair. flipping through the channels, if if she were on, I'd stop back in the day and go, "Hey, huh, hey, look, that's Miss White. Those are nice letters. Hello, those are <laughs> hello, Vanna. Those and are nice letters. I would not think Man. to Pat, that's one nice suit you're wearing. Mm. I've, I guess I've never looked at what he dresses. Maybe he dresses all right. I I would not know. I okay. didn't know the Better man than by me. name until a few weeks ago. Okay. All right. Anyway, it was it was a resounding defeat for Booba's way Here's of life. the deal. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that poll on my personal Facebook. And I'm <laughs> Okay. I'm going to see what happens with the with you know You will I'm, embarrass yourself. Okay. I would not do this. <laughs> I'm doing <laughs> yes. it. Dennis Here's the deal. My social media this. exists uh, for things other than my glory nowadays, which is exactly <laughs> if, why I'm doing this. If you struggle at all with self-confidence, uh, self-image, uh, Dan, have you ever met me? No, I'm just saying, if secretly, sometimes the most vocal people are the okay. most people. Okay, fair enough. Right? Valid point. If you struggle at all, I wouldn't do it. Do not, do not invite <laughs> I'm just giving you See, not everyone listens to me, but I'm saying. <laughs> Dan, this is exactly I only say things if I mean it. I'm going in to do this. How do you make a poll on Facebook? We'll, here's what we'll do. We'll catch up. Uh, we, we'll have two weeks because uh, we're out next week. But we'll catch up two weeks from now and see. Uh, the evaluation is, one, does, do Buva's friends know Pat Sajak? And two, should Buva always listen to Dan's wisdom? <laughs> I believe the answer is going to come uh, in, in, in tandem. <laughs> they're, they're How do you spell his last name? S-A-J-A-K. Sajak? So it says Sajak. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Did you intentionally say it wrong? 
Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I can't say it aloud. I'm just gonna. I was just typing it. I know, but, but you worked in call centers. People call and give you the, your name, and there's people in the call center who who like say it wrong, like they respell it in their own mind and then pronounce it wrong, even though someone who knows their name legitimately. Have said you it. ever heard of Pat Sajak? <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Anyway, that's uh, that's okay. Got that out of the way. That's that's what we're going on here to uh, live from the past. This is outstanding. Uh, second. So, secondly, I don't know, uh, Dan. Did you see the article? Um, Someone had posted an article about um, how effective uh, – the, the title of the article this is from The Atlantic. is called They Tried to Start a Church Without God. For a while, it worked. I started reading it, but whatever I was doing, I didn't have time, so I, I was going to go back but didn't. It's, so it, it, I it's, skimmed it. It's super long, but yeah. like it's, it, I, I, we're going to read through some of it because it's, I, it's pretty interesting. And I you think wanted it, speakers and – yeah, excitement, and, but just no God. Th- that's right. It's yeah. a, the people trying to replace the church experience, but do it without God because well, people still need community. Because everybody comes for the show. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 So so inter- so we'll, we'll we'll talk through that because um, I thought it was there was some interesting um, not only to know what people are trying and basically how it's going because I think otherwise why we believe oh you know people are competing with the church and hey, they're just creating community and that it's going off uh, on rockets and that's not really what's happening. Um, yeah. And secondly, I think it does have implications or teaches us, um, I think, things that we already know about um, the, the core of why people do attend, regardless of what the periphery things are, um, you know, kind of what, 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 what they're actually being drawn into, and that, the, it, as, as a core effect, Jesus actually matters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's yeah. integral to what we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, I thought that was an interesting article. There was uh, also, do you guys remember the Bible man, uh, answer man, Hank Hanegraaff? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so... Uh, Pat Sajak? Uh, <laughs> Pat, Pat Sajak? Yes, I know Pat Sajak. <laughs> I think uh, he's in line next when, when Hank retires. Uh, uh, so, so Hank, so Hanegraaff, the Bible answer man. Oh, okay. We, we All right, just sorry, talking about, yeah. Anyway, so he got booted off a lot of stations. You get, we talked about this when it happened because he became an uh, Eastern Orthodox. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, there, there was an article about him. It said, uh, Hank Hanegraaff, also known as the Bible answer man, revealed how God supernaturally saved him during a recent brush with death. Amid his ongoing battle with cancer, allowing him to see his 69th birthday. Hmm. Um, so I, I thought this was just kind of interesting. It said uh, in a video posted on July 17th, the host of the nationally syndicated Bible Answer Man radio broadcast announced that he recently underwent allogenic stem cell transplantation, uh, a potentially curative treatment for mantle cell lymphoma, and the surgery was successful. Quotes, weirdly. Um, during his <laughs> 400 day hospital stay, the radio host said he had the time for reflection and thought of what it is that God has for me to do in the remaining years of my life. And I do believe God's going to give me many more years, he said. I don't want to be presumptive, but I almost died. I had passed out. I had gone unconscious. And the time in ICU was just a blur. I remember little bits and pieces of it, but when my kids and my wife told me about what I went through in the ICU, it was like they were talking about a different person. Hanegraaff revealed that if it weren't for his son David visiting exactly the right time at the hospital, he wouldn't be alive today. That he's the one that saw that all of a sudden my speech was incoherent, and then I went unconscious and got the nurses in and got me in the ICU. I was a close brush with death, still feeling a lot of the effects of that. That he came within a whisper of being in the presence of the Lord. Says it makes you look at life completely differently. I will not die but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. He saved supernaturally, saved me from dying. Hmm. Anyway, I just thought uh, what, what, what movie? What? What? what you suspicious of this uh, this uh, categorization? 
No, just it, just any time the whole supernaturally thing comes in, it just it it hits me weird. Is it, is just should we just stop using the phrase supernaturally? Yeah, because uh, because if you said, "Hey, the Lord stepped in and did something," I'd be like, "Yeah, that happens." Yeah, exactly. But if we go, if the Lord did the voodoo on it or did the supernatural, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, there's there, there's nothing supernatural about it. It's just how he works. It's how he does things. Ah. Whether it was whether it was through medicine or not, just because it was miraculous or not, didn't mean it wasn't God. If if God saved you through chemotherapy, that was still God saving you. There was nothing supernatural about the concept of chemotherapy working. Not to say he doesn't do things supernaturally, like, no, we didn't seek any medical advice, we didn't see what happened, and then, you know, my loved one was miraculously cured. That's awesome. I still like the word supernatural. Yeah, I suppose it is. It is. Uh, I mean, it is framed from a human perspective. Uh, it is something beyond what we believe is natural, but it really, it's superhuman natural. Uh, for God, it's just natural. Yeah, that is how absolutely. The, yes. the Lord can and does behave. Right, it's just how He does things. <laughs> so, okay, here, here's I'm got a whole different twist on this. Okay, as I was listening to you talk about this, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, he was 69. Say, yeah. So he does he have. Like he's really attached to this life. Doesn't for being the Bible answer man. I'm, I'm like, I mean, and then that was my first thought, and I thought, well, at what age do you start thinking? Well, I mean, I am 69. I mean, actually, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> or you mentioned 85, that, yeah. or or well, you know, I don't know what age that is. Because when he said, uh, "I came within a whisper of being in the presence of the Lord," it like, made me think of Paul. Uh, I could be in the presence of the Lord, or I could stay with you. And he's like, "Well, you know, I, I got work to do here, so I guess I'll stay." But this, I came within the, a whisper of being in the presence of the Lord. Uh, felt like, shoo! I just skimmed by. I made it. Still, good I'm thing still I'm here. still here. Right. Yeah. Exactly in the presence of you all. I'm like, yeah, hey, yeah. That just kind of struck me. Like, well, wait a minute. I mean, does that is that off? Am I? I would say, I, shoot! Yeah. I was almost in the presence. Yeah, of the Lord. exactly. I was almost in the throne room of King Jesus. Dirty rat. Who came in my room? Right. <laughs> yeah. What, it's what's, that stupid what, kid I had. What would be? What would be your regret? Would You're you regret me leaving this earth, or would you regret be missing heaven? Like that's the deal. I mean, like we don't like you know want to die, but but he seemed like he was really glad he didn't die. Right. Thankfully, and, I'm here with you still. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I don't know. That just that should like me. Ah, made me just kind of wonder. He's big, big radio guy, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's just you get a certain ego. You think, yeah, but other people need to die. But I don't know. If I really want to. I should. I should remain. I should abide. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Hey, just a heads up. What? We're five minutes into my poll. I have twelve votes. That yes, they all know who Pat Sajak is. <laughs> I hope you are strong. Oh, move it. Oh, <laughs> you're in a real and business. The, the comments. The comments go from sounds like a wheel of fortune clue to. Uh, a gif of Jack Nicholson going. <laughs> I don't. I warned you, my friend. <laughs> it's only going to get worse. I'm just saying. <laughs> on our live from the path poll, we got 14 votes. I wanted to ex- like get an exponentially large amount of votes, and if we're given this two weeks, we're we're six minutes in. I got 12. Oh man, we'll yeah. see when you break. Oh, no, this is going to be great. <laughs> at the end of this, I'm going to be like, I had no idea who this was. And then I'm going to have a horde of people that are going to be upset at me. We're going to find Booba in the fetal position. <laughs> what? Sucking what on a grape. What happened to Booba? Come, I don't know who Pat Sucking Zajac on an orange. Is. I know who Pat Zajac is. I'm sorry. Come, come cuddle me, I'm going to get a tweet from Pat Zajac, Zajac that's like, I know who I am. I should tag him. I'll, I'll tag him on the Twitter. <laughs> Certainly he tweets. <laughs> Pat Zajac, do you know who Pat Zajac is? I'll ask the same question, uh, Pat Zajac. Have you, do you know John Booba III? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> He'll probably be like, yes. I, I hope there's a Jack Nicholson gif of him going, <laughs> no, sir. Nope. 
You can't handle the truth. <laughs> okay. Wait, so yes, I do, and that does not hey, look like him. I know that reference. Does that have anything to do with Passe Jack? No, Jack Nicholson. Okay, I'm just making sure that he wasn't in that movie also, because I obviously don't know the man. I don't think he does movies. <laughs> this is why I don't know him. He was in the background on the TV. <laughs> just, yes, there are three R's. In the courtroom, he's in the background. <laughs> Wait, is that Passe Jack back there? Yes, it is. Oh, man. I hope uh, we don't owe him money for saying his name so many times. Uh, no, I don't think he can copyright his own... His own likeness. Can you? I mean, not your name, right? Not for casual conversation. I mean, yeah. We can't, like, make his t-shirts, probably, but, but we can say it. Right. <laughs> I'm going to make a t-shirt that says, I don't know who Pat Sajak is. I'm not is. Pat Sajak. Yeah. <laughs> Pat, Pat who with a question mark on it? <laughs> you have any W's? This is going to be great. You know what causes in the question, Boob, is, is, is really what you do with your time. Because, <laughs> like, obviously the rest of the world has at least used some of their precious time to understand who Pat Sajak is. Okay, that's is. a valid point. I'm, I, I, am I wrong for not knowing him? Is that what you're trying to argue? Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not, I think, explicitly that you're wrong for not knowing Pat Sajak. It means that you could be otherwise doing nefarious things with your time for ah. having not been exposed to Okay, the- yeah. So, so the lack of Wheel of Fortune in my life and the lack of understanding who Pat Sajak is could lead to nefarious things. Yeah, like you could be spending all your time on, on 4chan plotting how to create a video game out of shoelaces. Right, exactly. Like this whole time I could have been tagging subway cars <laughs> or, right. or understanding who Pat Sajak was. That's right. That's right. Gotcha. I, that I makes make, sense. You make a mean afro with the spray can, <laughs> but otherwise don't know anything <laughs> legit. Boova. Pat who? Okay, um, let's see. So let's get to this article, and then we're going to catch up with uh, uh, Boova had a wing ding of a day, and so we're going to catch up with it. Uh, so the, the, this was from The Atlantic, so kind of an interesting source for this. It was um, – the title of the article again was, They tried to start a church without God. For a while, it worked. Uh, secular organizers started their own congregations, but to succeed, they need to do a better job of imitating religion. And th- th- there are a couple conclusions in this article that I, um, I think they've come to the wrong conclusion, but let's, let's at least kind of talk through the setup. That when Justina Walford moved to New York City nine years ago, she never felt more alone. She'd left behind her church, her God, and her old city, Los Angeles. Then a secular congregation called Sunday Assembly filled the spiritual void, at least for a time. Walford had just turned 40. As a child, she had been deeply religious. Her parents had no interest in religion and didn't understand why she would. They'd sent her to a Christian school in hopes of good discipline and education. Good, that's what we're known for. Spankings. <laughs> but, uh, but Justina fell headlong into faith, delighting in her church community and dreaming of one day becoming a pastor herself. By the time she turned up in New York, her faith had long since unraveled, a casualty of overseas travel that made her question how any one religious community could have a monopoly on truth. What's interesting is that uh, Christianity is pretty prevalent almost everywhere. I don't know what about overseas does this <laughs> Pretty much thing. everywhere. <laughs> um, but still, she grieved the loss of God. It was like breaking up with someone that you thought was your soulmate, Wolfer told me. It's for the better. It's for your own good, she remembered thinking. Even though it no longer made sense to her to believe, she felt a gaping hole where her church, her people, her psalms, her stained glass windows used to be. Uh, so it's interesting because like, that's the description of it. Um, uh, I, I think that the attempts to frame the article as if it's a community issue, of which I think this, she she believes as well, um, and w- it would be my first inkling to say I don't. Uh, I, I'm not sure that's what the gap is. I'm not. Is, is the, I don't think the holes just people. I think. I, right. uh, I've, in fact, I've made the case that like when it comes to straight up community camaraderie, people kind of supporting you and whatever it is your life circumstances are, uh, the average bar on a Saturday night can, is, is is will compete. With the, the with the shape of the thing, right? People around asking you how you are, remembered your stories or whatever. But like, there's something distinctly different about a religious community that is not the same thing as your Saturday night bar. Uh, even though most post evangelicals uh, 
will will claim to have found it in in the bar. Um, there's shades of people, but it's it's not the same thing. Um, anyways, so then Walford read an article about Sunday Assembly, a community started in Great Britain in 2013 that had spread quickly across the Atlantic to her doorstep. Members gather on Sunday, sing together, listen to speakers, and converse over coffee and donuts. So far, nailing it. Meetings are meant to be just like church services, but without God. That's it, she thought. That's what I want. When Walford shed her faith, she joined a large and fast-growing group, the nuns, or the religiously unaffiliated. So we've talked about these folks, um, uh, the people who are otherwise uh, walking or say that they're not affiliated, um, and they do not... um, uh, they're not particularly antagonistic about it. Um, so they're not necessarily people who would say, look, hey, we're hardcore atheists or agnostic. Um, how you would think of agnostic, except they don't even care. Like, they're just mm-hmm. not, they don't even care to speak on. It says, secular congregations such as Sunday Assembly and Oasis, a similar group started in 2012, seek to offer a solution. to them. Both were founded by faithless seekers hoping to carry on certain aspects of religious life, the community, the moral deliberation, and the rich sense of wonder. When they were growing, I like this moral deliberation point. I don't ever really deliberate. Does that go on in, in your church, Dan? You were like, hey, thou shalt not. And people are like, well, let's speak this over. Can, can, we, can, we, can we have a conversation about this? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk this over. That's not how yeah. I want to live yeah. my life. Are you sure? Now, is yeah. the thou like the, them, they? <laughs> or, or, or is it, uh, as long as it we're not, it's not me, right? <laughs> I, I'm having problems with the pronouns. <laughs> when they were growing so, uh, let's see. When they were growing so rapidly in their early years, these congregations were heavily covered by media outlets. The hot new atheist church gushed a 2013 Daily Beast headline about Sunday Assembly. HuffPost noted that the number of assemblies had doubled in a single weekend in 2014. The media coverage emphasized the new community's high-energy services, its celebratory message, and the top-of-year-lungs group renditions of pop anthems such as Living on a Prayer. For these uncomfortable, those uncomfortable with the level of overt spirituality, even within relatively liberal denominations such as Unitarian Universalism, secular communities offered a different option. But even as the growth of nuns has revved up in the intervening years, the growth of secular congregations hasn't kept pace. First of all, is that a surprise? That surprise you? No, no. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not surprised either. People are uh, stupid. Uh, well, right, right. Like they, they, they know that you've. Um, this is. It's put on to a certain extent. Like it's, a, it's a, it's a put on for something. And the question is, is like, what is the value of the shape of it if the thing in the middle isn't there? Right. Like, can, can't I just solve this in a bar on a Saturday night or at somebody's house mm-hmm. for for game night or something? Yeah. Um, it, it it took the uh, it, it took the, the the aspects of the thing and said if we can mimic this it will grow without missing the it's it's taking the leaves actually so to, or, or the, the the fruits of the vine the grapes and putting them all together and moving them somewhere else and saying look they didn't have to be attached to the vine uh, and right. I think that's the mistake yeah um, you so just it's get rotten grapes uh, and, and what's interesting and I thought bringing up how other um, uh, places had talked about it was interesting because I do remember seeing articles like that I remember uh-huh. seeing people like hey man it's a hot new thing like the atheists are finding church communities and because I don't care to find follow up on it I would have no sense as to whether they're succeeding or not and it's interesting to find out that things aren't going very well so the question is let me ask you guys before we get to that part of the article um, what um, what are the what are the complications? Why don't you think these things are succeeding? Besides, like the core answer of obviously uh, they're missing Jesus. Well, they've been going on for years. I mean, I, I go to Kiwanis tomorrow morning. For some people, that's their church. It's it's a civic organization. There is service uh, to the community and the world uh, involved. There are national conventions. Uh-huh. Uh, we we say a pledge of allegiance, so you get your little national in there. Um, for some, that is that they're this community. They they hang out. They do stuff. I mean, like you can find community anywhere. Right. right. It's not outlandish that you can't like set up a communal thing that provides support networks and 
people getting together. It's and, the concept of poker night. Yeah. <laughs> and people like, can smell if they're just trying to make a buck, a business right. out of it. Like, oh, yeah. the, the church makes money. We can make money. It's right. like, but I'm not going to give to you because I, for the purpose of and, giving. And are, are they are they anti-church? Is that is that a fair way to put this? Like, are they trying to go against the establishment of the new church? Uh, well, and that's one of their <sighs> motives for it? Or is it just trying to find community outside of religion? Or uh, that's I think it's that. Okay, all right. I'm just trying to make sure that I'm yep. framing correctly in my in my thought process. I think it's a, it's a dollar thing. Really? There, there's a big dollar how much oh. money does Hope Lutheran bring in on a weekend? I mean, yeah. A uh, lot, right? I mean, <laughs> okay, fine. That's not a bad business. Right. When you're not selling anything. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. And uh, then people start realizing you know, you've got to have product. a building and some overhead. Yeah. Yeah. You um, know what's interesting, though, then, I guess now that I think about your Kiwanis example, th- there is at least a center around um, a moral good for Kiwanis, an yeah. intent to otherwise help do something good right. as a group. Um, and it's not just moral right and wrong. It's we get together with an intention of positively impacting the world around us. Yeah, uh, that does not appear as if that is the center of this. No, of this thing. Whereas the 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 the, the morality, or let's just think of the belief system of a Christian church, um, implicit like has an implication that it changes what you do, which otherwise impacts the way the world is around you or how you interact with it. Right. Um, without that moral center here. Um, or a, a specific moral guiding principle like like a Lions Club or a Kiwanis or something like that or would have, uh, that does feel like it would admit, like you just don't have an imperative to be there. Well, that moral directive becomes unifying. And so without that, you know, yeah, yeah you're, I see your point. Like it doesn't really make sense. Like if it's purely social, I can't imagine it stays very strong for very long. Like, hey, let's go to a house of non-prayer and go hang out together and listen to Bon Jovi. Right. Like, that That just seems like something that people may get involved in on a whim and be excited about kind of the concept of them being big at the beginning. Yep. Um, but dwindling entirely. Like, I just, I don't see, I don't see a motivating factor that allows me to want to be involved in that. Even, uh, you know, anti-church, whatever it may be, or, or pushing for, for, for a social venue without the need for religion. Yep. Um, you know, I, I just don't see it as something that's unifying. I think it's, it's purely entertainment, and people get bored of that pretty quickly. Yeah. People jump on things as a fad for a reason, and if that fad doesn't stay, it's because people get bored of it. They move on to the next thing. Yeah. I mean, that's why bars change the types of things that they do exactly. every five years. Yeah, there's not many bars that last for 20-plus years unless it's a group of locals that have gone there for 15 years, and it's only because they drink for free most of the time. Everybody they know is there, and they don't know anything else. Right. So it says, uh, the New York Sunday Assembly was everything that Justina Walford had been hungering for since leaving her faith. Meetings involved sermons and quotes from scientists, artists, and academics. Members sang pop songs together and snapped their fingers to poetry readings. Old-timers chatted by the snack table and invited newbies to meals outside the group. I just fell in love with it, Walford said. I love the singing. I love the interaction. I love once a month seeing the same people. Once a month. Wow. (laughs) Hmm. Either she they only lost a- people even once a month. Either she only attends once a month, or <laughs> other people only attend once a month, <laughs> or they only have it once a month. Right. It's not clear. She became an organizer, one of the leaders of the chapter, working long volunteer hours to put each service together. That lasted for a couple of years, and then things began to fall oh. apart. And I think that's. I think that's a pretty. So think of that as initial clue, right? That's the ch- every church goes through that. Right. Is you need people to commit to serving others in this way or another. Um, if I have a long term, if I think the thing that we are otherwise gathering for is of a level of importance of which my sacrifice is worth it and is an, even a good way of in being in service to that, I'm in. Right. To the extent that the, there is not something in the center that serves that, uh, now it's just kind of self-immolation. Like, why? <laughs> yeah, why have I been doing this for this long when I don't really have a Yeah. 
If it's not, if it's not otherwise providing a good, and it can't just be a good; it has to be a certain weight of good. Now, um, I could be wrong, Dan, and stop me if I am. But like, there's not 200 people showing up to the Kiwanis meeting, right? right. Like, like there, there, there's different levels of the impact of the world you're having. It's enough that you'll get uh, in any given town in the United States. There's a dozen, right? You know, maybe maybe slightly more than that in bigger cities. But like, it's they're not boiling down the door, right? Um. But because the level of interaction, there is a good there, but the level of good is distinct from, you know, the Red Cross or something. And so um, even if you thought, hey, it's good to, for, to provide a place in which people can come and hang out together, the only other people who think that are people who are running businesses of which they want you to come buy coffee at their shop. <laughs> um, it takes a lot to be the volunteer who just wants to support people coming together and singing Bon Jovi. Like right. that's a different ask. And so she said um, there just weren't enough people. Making a congregation happen basically meant putting on a big show on a regular basis. Somebody needed to book bands, find speakers, set up chairs, pick up snacks. Anna Clayson, who was also involved with the New York chapter at the time, told me the same thing. The core group worked their hearts out, but it wasn't sustainable. And that's not foreign to church work, I guess, like go back to our previous point. Like, I, I think it is hard, especially when you're starting a church. Um, you have to have a kind of, and Dan, Dan knows this um, way better than everybody else, but like, like you have a core group who's working hard in anticipation of providing a space where other people can come and, and be part of that community, and it does it does require a lot out of them. Yeah. But, oh, absolutely. But like, I, but you have a sense that you're working for uh, whatever your human effort is. There is a greater. There's a. The, the, it is the, of the greatest opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're doing the best you can, in so that people could do something that could like radically and actually change the world around them. That's not this. It's missing that core element. And it takes of all the things that I think about in, in our individual lives, which I might commit time to, it becomes very difficult to create a, a good space and raise money and buy, find speakers so that Ted and his 10 friends can come listen to some guy that I could, could do a TED talk online. Right. Uh, and, you know, otherwise, like, again, sing Bon Jovi at home or at the bar. At the, do a karaoke right. I was going to say, you're yeah. probably going to have a lot more fun at the bar when you sing Bon Jovi. Just yeah. saying. Well, they've taken some of the some of the anchors uh, uh, of like the, some of the the hardest part of of uh, like the business aspects of having to to keep a church afloat, uh, and they've taken the full responsibility out of that without the inertia that otherwise might come support things like that <laughs> in a church where people are like willing to sacrifice so that you can have a a place to serve food and donuts and and and, and a building so that people have a place to gather mm-hmm. and like again, I just the moral imperative is not there. Um. It says, let's see, da, 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 da. oh yeah, it, here we go. Um, in New York and elsewhere, the basic mechanics of keeping a congregation running have proved difficult. To hire musicians and speakers, buy refreshments, and rent out a venue takes a lot of money. A traditional church has tithings, but leaders of secular communities have found that attendees are highly suspicious of any plea for donations. <laughs> Many lapsed believers harbor strong negative associations with the collection plate. Uh yeah, again, I, I think that's a stretch. Um, I, I think they're cheap, and I think they have a reason to be. Yeah. Uh, because really what I'm saying is, is like, let's, whoever leads it, right? Like, you're no longer talking about someone who has at least some sort of calling on their life to lead people spiritually. You're talking about uh, a Walford. Uh, what was her first name? Um, uh, shoot. Hold on. Justina. You're talking about Justina who goes... Uh, who now my faith is in her, and for no reason except for she's putting together a social gathering right. uh, that, again, can be expressed itself in many different ways. Yeah, great. She's a good party planner. Yeah. Give me money. Nah. Yeah. Oh. And, and, and here's the thing. I don't think, especially in that situation, 
Um, even if I wanted to give money, I don't trust that anybody else is going to give money. Right. For the same reasons that I might be hesitant. And so now, I, like, I'm not. Yeah, now I'm just giving 10 bucks to nothing. That's right. I'll give to the church because it's good. Because it's long term good. It's faithfulness. It's obedience. I'll do it. Um, but, like, uh, giving to this type of organization, now we're talking about a value exchange. Am I yeah. going to get something out of it worth my money? Yeah. And I don't think so. What happens <laughs> the one time I show up and the band wasn't that great? Right. I'm never giving money here again. That's not worth paying for. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, if you're you're talking money uh, approaching a tithe, that's a considerable amount of, of giving. Yeah. You might as well get like a box office at a at a major sporting event, and that becomes a community. You have all kinds of entertainment, and if it's a ball game, you might sing at the seventh inning or whenever they do the stretch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you have all those elements, and you didn't have to buy the building. You're just renting the room right and you have some great community and it's mm-hmm. an inter- i mean you have that you have Fun it all time. right there if you're going to spend that kind of money right i mean it's a lot less energy you just show up and pay give the ticket to the dude and right. go on a much better investment yeah and and, and again absent the uh, um the center um uh, of a religious figure of god or whatever um yeah now you're just talking about investing in community and, and dan's right there's a, there's wiser ways to do it um, and I, okay, so let, let's let's uh, keep going. It says, um, but and this goes to I think a question you asked, Muva. Uh, beneath the surface were other rifts. Even within the community of non-believers, were different groups with different priorities. Some ardent atheists wanted to rail against religion, for example, or have heated debates. But at Sunday assembly, the point wasn't to put down faith or even to celebrate being faithless per se. The pointing being there was being was being there, just being there together. I'm just imagining a celebration of not being faithful. Uh, so here's <laughs> that doesn't sound like a doesn't sound like a fun time. So, yeah, what do we believe in? Nothing. Nothing. I'm committed Woo! to that. <laughs> I mean, a lot of you. So here, so Preach, here's, brother. Here's the thing. Think about it from this way, though. I, I I do believe that it is innate in us to want community like that. Oh, absolutely right. And to and 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 the the yeah, um, social beings. Uh yeah. So, so like like there was um there was some someone I knew that had said, hey, you know, I I uh, so I checked out. Uh, I think it was like a Unitarian church, and. My first, my first reaction was, oh, man, <laughs> Unitarian Church. Um, but then, then I thought, like, uh, I totally I, – I get it because I think people are wired for that. I think mm-hmm. we are wired for that. I think God has wired us for that, to be able to, um, to, to want to come together in groups. Um, the picture is incomplete without, without God, though. Uh, and so at the best, the Unitarian Church, just like these, are, are, are false promises. They're things – they're shadows. They're things that otherwise um, – that uh, make it look like they're going to do something, but ultimately can't produce the same because they're missing Jesus. Um, and so, and so I remember, but I remember thinking that you know, I, you, I had to, wanted to be careful about um, my reaction to the congregation itself because I think I think that is actually innate. I think there's an element of God having brought our need to that, and people trying to. F- fill those needs makes sense to me just like this woman trying to find this in this in these congregations makes sense to me it's just that they will be shallow they will not actually meet the need without god as the center because it's through god that our community gets the proper definition right i would think the people who probably support financially the most something like this is like your atheist who's angry at god and the problem is anger will not sustain movement you know I right mean, faith will zeal but anger you can only go so far you're like eh, yeah. okay how do you weather a storm in anger yeah 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 right, right. <laughs> you I don't mean, 
you could just get tired of it. I was like, okay, I just gave you eight thousand dollars last year, and, and like, okay, I'm not. I guess I'm not that angry anymore. <laughs> now I'm kind of angry at myself. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I could have done or you know more. I mean, but yeah. Well, and, and I suppose back to um, like if I couple that with what they were talking about here, to the extent that I'm giving out of anger, and then the organization I'm giving to does not have the same level of passion as my anger. I've, I've, now I'm leaving. I'm yeah. supporting the wrong thing again. Yeah, I'm no I want to hear you make fun of Jesus, <laughs> not just not mention him. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not just I'm not just anti from the perspective of I want to walk away. I'm anti from the perspective of I want to like outright bash, yeah. and then it just it not productive. Like the atheist conference we went to a few uh, yeah. years ago. Yep. Like dress up day was all priests and nuns, and you know it's like. We get it. It wasn't a non-religious. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. It was, yeah. yeah, right. No, this has nothing to do with bashing the church. This is all about just understanding and celebrating science, science. and celebrating the understanding <laughs> that things can be outside of faith. No one's dressed like, up as Sir Isaac Newton. Yeah, Not exactly. one of them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right. That is completely right. Yeah, no, nobody showed up as their favorite geneticist. Oh, yeah. Gregor Mendel. Oh my gosh, that was wonderful. Like that's never a thing that happened. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's like, oh, oh, oh priest. Yeah. Oh, Who's the? No. Yep. Who are the DNA guys? Watson and Hook. Watson and uh, what, what are the guys the the two guys who discovered the DNA? Oh, I I don't know. I know oh. Gregor Mendel's the father of genetics, but oh, I don't know those oh, guys. Oh. Crick, that's what it is. Crick. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. James Watson and Francis Crick. I, I was up on the Mendel. I'm not that far into genetics. Uh, sorry, I, oh, I had a wait. I, did they head up the the Human Genome Project then? Uh, or did they just, or were they, they, they were was the, their this, work the one that based or the you know, Human Genome Project was? Yeah, yeah, they discovered DNA in the fifties. Really? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I think I think there was another guy who discovered it, like a, a Swiss dude in the was their intern mid eighteen hundreds. But like oh. they they whatever they got the popular distinction for having discovered DNA. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. like the structure. Sorry, double it popped in my mind because I like I expected a, a joint costume with two guys. Like there's <laughs> ten guys who showed up in the Crick and Watson outfits and were like, ah, oh, lame, ha, huh? look what we did. But, <laughs> but you're right. But, no priests and nuns, right? Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, nothing like having your definition of your life based upon what you're against. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, Not everyone can like operate like an Ego Montoyo from uh, from Princess Bride. <laughs> <laughs> Spent 20 years just, just hating a guy, die. and that's yeah. the entire definition. It's like, oh crap, what do I do now? Now what? Yeah. So I, I suppose what's interesting <laughs> though is if you look at these congregations, like it, it isn't like predominantly that they wanted to try to fill the gap that the, that they felt was missing from the church and didn't want to do this. Uh, but it also attracts the type of folks who folks who are like, yeah, I, I hate this, which I think is, uh, I mean, the church attracts all kinds in the Christian right. church. It's not like you don't run into elements of this, <laughs> of people there for different reasons. A little bit. Uh, but it says, still, in a city like New York, uh, people have plenty of other options on a Sunday, uh, on a Sunday morning. Boot camps, soul cycle. What's that? Huh. Soul cycle? Soul, yeah. Oh, I bet it's a cycling class. Oh. Teach you how to. Teach you how to bike on a stationary bike. Well, it will make, yeah, but maybe like the whole concept of like we're going to go out and exercise, and that's going to help us like refine who we are. Again, the central premise has a moral good. I feel right, like exactly. Yeah, there's something that's that that brings together a congregation of people that go yeah. to the same gym together. It's got to be something be- that's better than just showing up to a place and singing the Bon Jovi. Like we want to be like, hey, we want to be smarter. Like I, here's the thing, enlightenment. It's it's a it's a it's a shallow understanding of the church because it the things it attempts to to copy are not the core premises of why the church meets. Like, people don't listen to sermons to be smarter, right? Like, oh, hey, I just want to hear, like, a TED Talk type of guy or physicist and blah, blah, blah. We're, they're not – yes, we're trying to gain knowledge, but that's, that's the surface level of it. We gain knowledge in 
obedience right. in application of what it looks There's like to be game. part of that. Yeah, like it's it's always two steps deeper than I think what they're, the, the actions of these types of communities are trying to represent. And like, I, again, I get it, but I, I think that's, those are the core things that are missing. Um, so he says, you're competing with hundreds of other events at the same time. I mean, again, uh, the church knows that too. Off ball. Um, sucker. Getting enough people to show up felt impossible. The chapter officially, hey, I've been having the hardest time. Like, so my kids, um, we're, we're getting past the time uh, of where we can play uh, soccer. That, that there, was a, there was a, the Walnut Creek downtown um, uh, had a, a soccer league. And so, like, of course, they never schedule anything on Sundays. And so there was on Saturdays and stuff. And, like, we're getting to, they're getting to the age where, like, you're really running out of options. And I'm like, boy, I wish my kids could keep playing. Like, they can't because I, I won't accept a Sunday option. But, like, it's, um, we're reaching that time where, like, the, yeah. the, 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 the stuff starts dropping off like flies. And you either got to play Sunday or you can't play. Um, Let's see. So it said getting enough people to show up felt impossible. The chapter officially closed down in early 2016, three years after opening. So I did – the question I did have, uh, Dan, as I was thinking about this, is the, 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 the statistics for churches starting isn't crazy better than this, though, is it? Right. No, no. What is it? Is it three out of four fail in the first five years, something like really? that? It's, uh, wow. it's not great. It's intense. <laughs> um, now, now, some of that ki- might come because, and maybe this has changed some, but it used to be the Baptists would start one every three days. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know they had like six people in it, and, and then well, after a while, you know, three, four years later, they had eight, and right. you know, they decide, well, I guess we can't afford this. Right. <laughs> um, but that 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 includes like more efforted churches as well, gotcha. right? You know, <laughs> right. Yeah, so so I suppose like when they said this lasted three years, like oh you know okay like I I don't know uh, trying to fire up anything like that even in a Christian church sounds like it's not um, you know it, yeah. there's it it's 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 unique to be able to persist um, as a church planner because even like in in the church world there's always a hundred and fifty other churches you could go to yeah right and right. believe in the same God you might have a slight you know different flavor but but uh, if there's ever resistance or boy this this Matt, this isn't giving me the passion I was hoping I would have. Just go down the street. Uh, that, yeah, we'll go down the street right. because they, they, they'll, you know, they'll give them a try. Right, uh, right. Yeah. I suppose what's interesting here to that extent is that you might see, whereas um, Christian churches, people could go from to different con- congregations. Um, I, th- I think the assumption here is that when they close down, there aren't a ton of other uh, non-believer or secular churches like this you have to ride your bike on your own uh yeah yeah you're you're going to the bar to the zumba class or it's it's bailing it's not they're they're not transferring around and otherwise maintaining numbers they're actually losing numbers people are right. not committing to this um uh, it says these issues didn't just affect the new york chapter sunday assembly has reported significant loss in total attendees over the past few years from about five thousand monthly attendees in 2016 to about 3500 in 2018 oh where's the where are these survey people that I, that that never give me information that's useful to me i'd like to see the growth of christian church or christianity or protestant denominations or whatever against secular churches uh, across the united states it would be interesting to see like is it a cultural thing because we say oh, the churches are declining and the assumption is it's in reaction to christianity specifically um is there a reaction of people's behavior as a whole against funeral right. uh things like this Societally, are we changing? Yeah, just religious. Yeah, and I, it, it, it doesn't. I mean, it tells you something slightly different. At least there's a different implication. Anyway, um, 
Let's see, the number of chapters is down from 73 years ago to about 40 this year. Sustaining any kind of new congregation, indeed any new group activity at all, is hard work, but religious groups have more tradition, history, and institutional support behind them. And these factors can stand as a kind of safety net behind religious startups. So I think that's true um, from denominationals, but like, um, like there, there's a finite amount of time in which you can float like um, uh, through church planning networks or non-denominational churches. Like um, They won't continue to dump money into something that won't sustain itself. And I suppose the proof of that is kind of what Dan was talking about. If we're three out of four and don't make it five or ten years, like obviously we're willing to let them go. Right, exactly. Um. It said, uh, if Sunday Assembly was a Christian community that suddenly had brand recognition, a flock of pastors would come and bring all their skills and experience, said Sanderson Jones, one of the founders of Sunday Assembly. You could buy training videos. There'd be conferences. Oh, um, I, I think he's making the case that um, we don't know how to do this. <laughs> um, but these are all different pre-existing structures. But without the structure, there's no, there's like for secular congregations, there's no training videos. Um, there are no church planning experts to help them grow roots. They're starting from scratch. I don't know. Does that sound right, Dan? Like, you feel like um, for what they're trying to do, like they're vent planning, really. Right. Yeah. They're like they're yeah. saying there's no resources and how to make a good party happen every month. Yeah, that's that's not true at all. Yeah, that's I think we have to figure out what is really their goal because yeah, I think it boils down to there it's a business. Yeah. I, I yeah. really say that their business it's a hard, it's a it's a failed business plan. Because there's all kinds of opportunity to do the things they're talking about. Yeah, right. Agreed. Even if they're not trying to turn a profit specifically, it is still a business, and you're absolutely right. Like it's, yeah. How do we get people to show up to a place? There's no, there's no like support on that. I, I doubt that very right. much. So, but the only thing you don't have um, is uh, is again kind of the deeper well thing, and right. like um, you weren't going for that anyway. Yeah, question- you're not being supported right. by anyone because no one. There's you're not a cause. Mm-hmm. There's no cause for what you're doing. If you had some kind of moral cause, you could get someone who would be willing to give money towards what you're doing. Even if you know you want to make this work, make your rally monthly about some different disease. Yeah, make yeah. it something because then you can contact some uh, foundation or some some group of people that that have been affected by said disease who will tell you how to throw it, who will host it, who will sponsor it, whatever. You want to get together and have cake and sing Bon Jovi? People will still show up because everybody's going to want to feel good about showing up to the event. Same reason a bunch of people show up to a 5K for ovarian cancer. Yeah. <laughs> it just it happens. People yep. naturally go to that. There. I, I fixed your congregational problems. <laughs> you know, I, I think if I were a non-believer and I, I look at, say, some of the television preachers who bring in millions of dollars or, or the large churches and the budgets they have, and I would look at that and think, well, these people are just idiots giving their money to this, and these are just you know shucksters that are getting the money out of them. We can create a legitimate business model based on what do these churches do, the things you're mentioning, you know, dynamic speakers and programs and blah blah blah. And they're they're just looking at it completely as a business thing and say, well, we can duplicate that and and not have this false, you know, silly, yep. make believe character. Right. And 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 people will love it if not improved upon it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just happens to be that when you miss the spirit of God, there's something missing. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, just as an update, uh, we're up to 26 comments on Troy's <laughs> posts, and not a person has affirmed of not knowing Pat Sajak. <laughs> uh, here we go. Seriously, Troy, who hasn't? <laughs> I say no one's gotten nasty yet, have they? Uh, no, and if they do, I don't care. No, no, uh, it's, it's relatively clean. It'll, I, it'll turn about uh, 1.30 this morning. I don't remember not knowing who Pat Sajak is. <laughs> Boy, boo. <laughs> oh, 
Now this is including every. Uh, be, my teachers are commenting on this. Family, people I've worked with, my employees <laughs> have uh, commented. Customers of mine have commented. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a large group of people. That's why I kind of want to do this on my Facebook. You're, yeah, you're not wrong. You're so wrong. Uh, <laughs> so it says um, even more challenging than the logistical barriers are the psychological ones. Linda Woodhead, scholar of religion and culture at Lancaster University in Great Britain, told me that structured communities just aren't easy to form. Meeting in a building with the same group of people every week, I don't think there's any natural need for that, she said. Now, hold on a minute. Uh, t- take away the building aspect of it uh, so that you can think of this more universally. But, like, people meeting uh, weekly or with some regular cadence seems like a very normal thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Families do it. Friends do it. I think you could go to any culture in the world, whatever uh, whatever tribe that speared that poor uh, John fellow who went to go take him, Jesus. Like, I bet they still meet on a weekly basis yeah, again, in some way or another. Yeah, showing up on a Tuesday night for for poker night. Everybody does that. Uh, yeah, I don't. And there's not a natural need for that. I, I guess I, I disagree with that. Um, I don't think that's true. I think people do have an inherent need for that type of thing. I don't think it is a forced behavior i think i think it is a behavior that is otherwise natural that has been presented with a m- number of um individual competitions that i'm not sure are for our own benefit um it, within our society because we have the freedom to not do that but like think of normal things that happen as communities get together they um get rid of our technology and some of our uh, improvements in humanity um people get together to share food right to to to, to contribute their part to whatever the society is doing um, to talk about things that are going on, to meet about people that are sick, or to gather in w- w- either religious or uh, just cultural ceremonies. Like, it's a pretty natural thing to do together. If any argument in my mind can be made with that would be, societally, I could say that social media is kind of eroding our need for that kind of community uh, to an extent because people feel like they could be connected through the internet versus needing to actually show up to things. But I don't think that plays out perfectly because I think people still do exactly like you're saying, show up and still have a meal once a week and show up and still do, you know, let's go to a baseball game once a month as friends to make sure that we still have that connection, stuff like that. Like, yeah. Yeah, so. You said uh, Woodhead believes that communities can be hugely important to people, of course, but you can't just meet for the sake of community itself. So I would agree with that. I think it's, it's associated with something because um, communities have inertia. Right. They're, they're doing something. Um there's Nobody not wants a, to be just in a pond sitting in scum. Uh, right. They're like, hey, hey, at least we're, at least we're just standing yeah, around together. Are <laughs> um, you need a very powerful motivating element to keep people coming, something that attendees have in common. So what's interesting is based upon what she said, though, the desire for not being affiliated, so the not, I don't want to be affiliated with, with uh, a god, but like uh, I want to grow in knowledge and I want to be around people and I want to join music and I want some uh, to do it <laughs> weekly – like, um, that seems like that would be in common, and yet it's not playing out. What's happened? Yes. You got somebody? We got to know. Unbelievable. I will read it. Why? From a fella named Josh, whose wedding I'm officiating in two months, and now I'm doing it for free. Uh, after all these posts, I'm ashamed to say no. I looked him up, recognized him from Wheel of Fortune, but never knew his name. Mm. Bam! We finally got to know. Ye- Understandably, though, it's from the same. It's from someone from my graduating class. So maybe there's something about Southeast Polk in 2009 that messed up the Pat Sajak. I mean, maybe. I think your level of vindication is not warranted. <laughs> You're still. Oh no, I'm still behind. completely wrong. No, 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 that was not vindication. Okay, okay. That was just appreciation for community. Okay. Okay. 
Tying it back in. <laughs> I found some support. Tying it back in. Me and another dude. Uh, he said some congregations have that, so that um, uh, the motivating element. The Salt Lake City. Uh, oh, that Salt Lake City is home to one of the most successful Oasis chapters. May not be a coincidence. Why not? What do you think the point is? Why? Why is the secular uh, Oasis or the secular uh, commu- church community in Salt Lake City uh, one of the most successful? Well, oh, in that specific place, yep. oh, I think that's running away from the from the church community. Exactly, one hundred percent. Exactly, that church community is. Uh, yeah, that community is very interesting and tends to breed a lot of dissension. Uh, yes, and I, so it, here's, here's what they said: that chapter has become an important hub for ex Mormons. These members are bound by the shared experience of leaving the denomination they grew up in and feeling isolated in a hometown over which the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints looms large. For many nuns, however, their lack of religion is not a strong part of their identity. Alan Cooperman, director of religion research at Pew Research Center, says about one-third of nuns fall into the category of principled rejectors of organized religion or principled embracers of atheism or humanism, but the majority of nuns are just indifferent. On what basis would you pull them together, he asked. Being uninterested in something is about the least effective social glue, the dullest <laughs> possible mobilizing cry, the weakest affinity principle that one can imagine. Viva la, viva la revolution. We don't believe in anything. Yeah, we just, we're out. <laughs> <laughs> we don't believe in that specifically. Let's meet. Um, and, and interesting, there's a psychologist, uh, Ara Norazayan, uh, f- studying religion at the University of British Columbia, told me that secular communities might have trouble getting members to inconvenience themselves as people of faith routinely do for their congregations. He cited a study by Richard Sosis, an anthropologist, who studied 200 American communes founded in the 19th century. Sosis found that 39% of religious communes were still functioning 20 years after their start, but only 6% of secular communes were alive after the same amount of time. Is it because most secular communes are kind of those cultist ones that commit suicide? What are secular communes? I don't know, but that isn't where my brain went first. I just assumed that, like, uh, like Jim Jones and guys like that. I was going to say David Koresh and all that stuff? Well, that guy, was, that was religious. Oh, that was religious, right. Yeah. Um, so he, this is interesting, though. He determined that a single variable was making the difference. So what, what do you think? What makes up the difference between the success of religious communes, 39%, versus the only 6% persistence of a secular commune after, after 20 years? The, the secular are malicious, and they're shooting each other. It says they're inherently violent. <laughs> um, I, I think it's the same argument we've been making this entire argument is, uh, or this entire article. The, the whole concept that like there's no there's no social glue to use their verbiage. Um, there's nothing that's keeping them together. No no moral guideline. No no moral high ground that everyone has. No uh, no driving factor for for unity. Mm. So I think you're close. He said he determined that a single variable is making the difference. The number of sacrifices such as giving up alcohol, following a dress code, or fasting that each commune demanded of its members. That for religious communes, the more sacrifices demanded, the longer they lasted. However, this connection didn't hold for secular communes. The implication, he said, was that challenging rituals and taxing rules work only when they're part of something sacred. Back right. to your point. Yeah. Once the veil of sacrality is removed, people no longer... No one says sacrality. People no longer care to commit to things that demand their time and dedication. I don't want to give my money. I don't want to sacrifice for it. I don't want to spend three years for people who don't want to commit to it. There's no sense of higher purpose to it. Um, if it's come and go as you wish, that's not going to work. Even if secular congregations create, could create a sense of the sacred, they tend to attract people who are explicitly looking for community without costly rituals, one that lets you do what you want. And so ultimately, um, secular communities also have a focused sense of self. Right, so like to the extent that um, I am willing to be here because I am able to be 
myself without otherwise um, submitting to some mores or cultural aspects of the group, um, then you have no sense of shared bond, except for the fact that we all just want to be who we want to be. Right. And to the extent that something starts to become a shared bond but starts to change your identity, you bail because you no longer get to be who you are. Um, which is an interesting thing because, like, as a society, like, that is kind of a, you know, a, a movement in the, how we think of ourselves is that, like, my, the, the ultimate realization uh, or self-actualization is realizing the, who the true me is and being true to that. Um, but that, that almost, uh, that often, I would say, um, separates us from communal bonds, things that, like, types of rituals or things that we voluntarily change about ourselves and things that we do say whatever, so that we fit in with the community. Like, with the rejection of that, you lose the value or the sense of what comes with a community anyway. Ex unless, you're, unless you are uh, a commune of individuals, of specifically of individuals. That is the, 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 the presiding thing, is not that there's anything alike about you. It's that you're intentionally associating with each other as unique individuals, and your uniqueness is the common denominator. Which, which I think is not sustainable, mm -hmm. right? Because there is something about community, and to the extent that you don't allow um, communities to shape you, to allow yourself to be changed, uh, even think of something basic as, hey, I hang around, hanging around uh, people with strong marriages to otherwise help shape your behavior on how you look or think about marriage or whatever, to the extent to say, no, I, I reject that because I am who I am. And uh, like, like the strength of the bonds that are built up through communities don't actually occur. And so I, I think they're just um, they can they can start up. But ultimately, the elevation of self will carry thing, people away from it, because uh, uh, at some point or other communities ask something of each other that, of a blending. And um, to the extent that you're not willing to blend, your communities won't actually. Right. You think so. So to more to the point of the, the sacrificial thing being a glue for them i think that's the concept like do you think sociologically it's because people band together when they they feel like they're uh, for lack of a better term suffering together like it, it, yeah it, sacrificing something for even for the the good of uh from the religious standpoint you're sacrificing something because it's abstaining from sin or abstaining from from an issue because it, that's that's what we're meant to do we're called to 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 being better in, in the in the christian church like sociologically i think the people are banding together because of the fact that like in suffering you find companionship and in suffering, especially, especially mutual suffering that may not have the same face, but it has the same body, if you will. Uh, you know, we may not all be giving up alcohol, but we're all giving up something. Uh, you know, that kind of drives people together because it's, it's natural empathy. It is, I understand your sacrifice and the suffering, if you have, yep. because I too am doing that. I am also giving something up. I am, I am giving up, you know, drinking. You're giving up pornography. You're giving up this and all this different stuff. It's, it's a call to, to 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 communal empathy. Yes, and I think that's um, th think of the strong bonds in um, um, like conceived marginalized communities. Right, that's exactly what I was thinking when right. I was saying that too. Right, right. So that's that's where those come from. Is like, hey, we are we are all equally being mistreated right. in some form or another, yeah. and so we are bound by that right. experience. Yep. It is so like you have bonds that are that are um, that are tied to what we think or how we think or belief systems that we have, and then you have bonds that are tied to, by events. Uh, think of high school reunions or like things like right. They, they, we are we are our community or our sense of community is based upon a shared circumstance um, or a shared um, way of being either treated by the world or a shared place in the world or whatever that is. Or even think of like 
uh, guild, like trade guilds, or like mm-hmm. like a shared um, um, work. Yeah, I was gonna say everybody who hates their boss. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's it's the crew of cooks that hate the chef. So so, and, and this is where social media has permitted us a means to hyper specialize in those types of things and very much niche out. Like our group is disenfranchised cooks who are also left-handed and bike to work, and like that is a. <laughs> That is a unique community. It's not hyper specific. The, at all. the problem is, is that because think think of those, uh, and you can debate me on the reality of a group like that. But like, the niches of those things exist. It becomes very easy to fall out of the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You may one, always one remain left-handed, changes. but maybe you find a good boss. And now what? You lose. You lost your community because the thing that brought you together went away. Um, and that, see, that's the thing is, as I suppose that's true for the church too, because you can walk away and say, "Look, I just don't, I don't love or follow Jesus anymore." And so, yes, you've you've lost the notion of that community. But like the the fickle nature of who we consider uh, part of our community, who we spend time with, what what we get our sense of identity from, um, I think is becoming harder mm-hmm. because we know more. We're, we're we've been taught to categorize ourselves in certain ways. Um, and, and put, put each other in, in, in buckets and that define, that say we, this will be our community because these people are like this, are, are in this bucket. And the Christian community, besides the fact that we otherwise agree that Yahweh is king, uh, is not otherwise our, um, the definitives start to go away, right? Like it's, it's agnostic of skin color and cultural background and money and whatever, like all those other things that separate people. Um, I don't know. And so, so it, it's interesting. So they said, while costly sacrifice might not be present in these communities and they may be suffering for that reason, they have other tools in their toolkit. So things that, that might otherwise resurrect this type of behavior. Mm-hmm. They already have collective singing and live music, for example, which sets meetings apart from everyday experiences. I mean, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so in, in lieu of, of, of a sacrificial nature that brings us together, hey, we dance and sing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now, now. I, I'm sorry. I would not show up to a church if the only promise was that we're going to sing together. <laughs> When, when we first started Pathway, there was a small group I had meeting together, and I, we weren't suffering. And I honestly, I literally was thinking, I need them to suffer, right? <laughs> to bring them together. For that uh-huh. very, and, and so small group, I would pull out my guitar and sing these songs, right? We would <laughs> sing songs, and everybody hated it, and I acted like it was the most serious thing. Like, oh, you I know, love that. And about six months in, I find I find you guys done with this. They were like, "Please!" And it was it was, it was the greatest conversation. But Can it drew we them together. Please be done with dance singing. Please. I mean, no, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. It, it totally did exactly what I wanted it to do. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. It's interesting yeah. that that was your motive. It was, it, well, yeah, well does that have any, was it, Sean Engel over there? Does that have anything to do with my parents? Rick and April chance? Babcock. <laughs> oh man, that's great! That is the Rockwells. I'm I mean, super I, excited <laughs> to hear about that. Fourteen years after the fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, they they still will talk about. Uh, um, uh, um, I just lost the name of the song. I, um, uh, Sanctus. Well, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> it was all awesome. old school nineties. These uh, people have forces. to suffer. Let me bring my music. <laughs> I can't punch them, <laughs> but I can make them sing. Let me bring people together. Oh, <laughs> Dan, you were the social glue. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, there's a reason I do just about everything I do. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I usually don't tell anybody. <laughs> That's wonderful. And if you ask me, I'll deny it. Yeah, exactly. No, that never <laughs> happened. There's always what a reason. What are you talking about? I love that singing. <laughs> oh, man, Dan, that's great. Hey, hey Booba, think of that. Anytime you ever look at Dan, just know he's plotting something. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I am. <laughs> if, I, if I'm ever listening to Dan sing, I wonder if he thinks I need to suffer. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing it. <laughs> he's doing yeah. Oh, man, I feel social glue forming. What is happening right <laughs> Oh. I, I hate this, Dan. You're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> I feel closer to God than ever. <laughs> oh man, this is great. Deny myself. Come to the Lord. Uh, oh, so, oh, I, so, so uh, they are. So anyway, you have collective singing and live. <laughs> Sorry, live music, I distracted you. <laughs> which sets meetings apart from everyday experiences. Um, what? I don't. Again, that's a stretch. Yeah, I don't know that. That's a. I mean, it is a bond, but it's it is it is momentary. And right. here's, I can't imagine, like, for all the trouble that you have in churches of trying to figure out the types of songs to sing so that people are okay, you open that playbook to friggin' every song that's been popular over the last 60 years, I mean, I can't imagine that you're not going to find people who otherwise hate the tunes that are going on in right. your secular community. Yeah, that's saying that people are going to show up to a wedding and the music is the reason they're showing up to the wedding. Yeah, people yeah. jump and dance and have fun at a reception. I know that. I'm a wedding DJ. Yeah. But they're not there for the music. That's just an added bonus to the fact that they're there to celebrate the union of friends or family members. Yeah. He says uh, he believes that they can and will adapt over time, evolving into something closer to conventional religion, even if no deities are involved. Secular congregations can become as meaningful as religious ones, he said, but there has to be a sense of transcendence. Yes. Yeah. Peyote. Uh, <laughs> he means pot. <laughs> I don't... There has to I, be marijuana. I, I don't <laughs> believe that's the argument that's being made. Uh, right now, Craig okay. Gross from the Triple X Church says, yes, if you would only introduce the Panama Red. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Christian cannabis. The Panama Red. The, he says, transcendence is what gives the community a higher level of meaning than going to Johnny's Little League game. Again, I, I, I think that overcranks on. Um, I, I suppose it depends what he's getting at with transcendence. But like communities have been getting together for a very long time. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a um, hyper spiritual event. I well, guess. I mean, I, I can understand that like people coming together and 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 a social congregation, secular in nature. I'm sure the conversations are going to start happening where people are going to start talking about moral moral. Um, uh, moral similarities they may have, Ooh, yeah. and like things that they're passionate about, and and then that becomes well, hey, if we're going to be here anyway, we might as well start either advancing our congregation by having these conversations, or even working towards the betterment of certain situations, yep. like people showing up to a Kiwanis, people mm -hmm. showing up for a reason. There is there's there's social good to be done. You know, we're we're sponsoring an orphanage, or we're doing this, or something like that. Like there is a natural outpouring of hey, we're coming together, we might as well be helping. No one's going to show up to a party once a month for the rest of their life just to party for no other reason. Yeah. There's going to be similarities they find. It says it might mean, uh, the transcendence, uh, is it might mean developing more rituals or sharing more stories. Uh, th th here's the thing. Like, it is, there is a commonality. Like, common stories, common sets of beliefs, common understanding of how to look at the world. Um, those, are, those are inherent things that otherwise come with being in a community. Um, and th th there might be things that you learn. Um, but, but they they oh they, they flow from here's the thing is that they flow from 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 Christianity or even take like Hinduism or something mm -hmm. right like they flow from um, a sense of something being greater than an, right. any individual person. Yeah. The problem with a secular community trying to mimic that is that at its core they all come from an individual person. Like no one is fooled. This was Ted's idea. Right. Ted said we should start singing Guns N' Roses. And you're like, okay, Ted, but I don't like Guns N' Roses. And why would I – like I might have to submit to the fact uh, 
that that like if if God has a way of thinking about something, I I, I we we all implicitly agree that God is higher than me, and so I have something to submit to. Mm-hmm. I have no reason to submit. To God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right, exactly, not. Yeah, because <laughs> even in the music, you'll have different in the, in the church, you'll have different styles of music people yeah. prefer. But they will they will yield their preferences, thinking, well, the younger generation likes this, oh, right, yeah, and we want them to know Jesus, yeah. or the older generation yeah, likes this, we want them, to, you know, there's, there's a top of the pyramid, there. yeah. But if it's a purely selfish thing, it's like, well, I don't like this, I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> I'm here for my for personal benefit. For some reason, yeah. the only thing I can think of right now is the is the Flintstones with uh, with what is it, the Royal Order of the Water Buffaloes, the with the with the blue hat and the horns. I don't know why that is the only thing that keeps popping up in my head. Is Fred Flintstone wearing that 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 blue hat with the star and moon? <laughs> Sorry, mean, yeah. Actually, that reminds me of uh, like even even Masons. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, uh, just, I was 100%. at the Zagay Zig Shrig the other night. Sh- oh yeah, 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 right. yeah. And I was oh, I, I don't get that whole thing. Right. <laughs> no, I I'm almost I'm almost intimidated to ask. <laughs> like, yeah, like there's so what much there's so many intricate intricacies to it. And when I find out someone is a Freemason, I'm just like, oh, cool. So I, so I grew up with a guy, and so we, we actually had a conversation with a, a friend of mine who um, I think he's the head of the thing um, of of a, of, a, of the of a local one, local chapter. Uh, and we 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 were talking about similar things about um, trying to encourage people to otherwise be part of communal activities that uh, that benefit that uh, call into service, express what you believe in ways that you serve. Um, and so th- there were there were consistent there were uh, consistent things uh, across those two types of organizations, which I think speak to the again the persistence of both of those things. There was a center to them. Um, it, they're not the same type of center, but like it, it becomes Freemasons. If you think of Masons lodges and things like that, like or having some akin to um, um, Kiwanis and stuff like, like there 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 is a moral center. There's a core to it that says we're in service of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but so it's it's interesting what they're talking about is developing more rituals and sharing more stories. That's consistent across these types of organizations. It says it might mean that ideals they already espouse, such as helping others or finding wonder in nature, get elevated to a sacred level. Again, I the, the problem becomes it's the humans cho- still choose those things. One guy loves the mountains, and he's like, hey, you know what? As a group, we're going to love the mountains. And then, like again, you know, Shannon in the back goes, you know what? I don't, I don't dig on mountains. Right. Yeah, I worship raindrops. And then what are you going to do? You know what are you going to do? We don't agree on the thing, mm-hmm. uh, and then you end up in micro niche groups. Like here's the mountain folks, and here's the raindroplet people, and you know, um, I think it's a lot harder. Uh, and people would say uh, religion is then false. Uh, is is like isn't it convenient that everyone kind of chucks their brain at the door and has to give up those types of preferences to kind of submit to this thing of God? I'm like, well, as a controlling thing, I suppose you could look at it that way. Absolutely. Uh, but the question is. If it's true, though, if yeah, it does come from a higher authority yeah. who would know better than me, then submitting to it is not unreasonable at all. It's completely right. reasonable. Just thing. because the mechanism works doesn't mean that it's wrong. That's right. Like, effectiveness is not – it's yeah. the only time – Effectiveness is inherently evil that's only right. in the church. That's right. Only in the church. That's right. Hey, that's... Oh, man, they're effective. Well, isn't that convenient to be a deal for God? It's like – well, yeah, it is. It's effectiveness. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I had the same conversation with someone oh, who was yeah. uh, talking about um, – Oh, well, isn't it convenient that the church just happened to exclude all these letters and books into the Bible that otherwise called it into question, like that didn't say the same things everything else said? I'm like, I was like, no, yeah. that's, that's exactly how it should work. <laughs> that's effective to make a cohesive work, work, yeah. of books, uh, work of books. Hey, this thing's a lie. Let's not include it. Ah, <laughs> exactly. uh, I see the evil you've propagated. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, how dare you throw out those outliers? Yeah, because they weren't true. That's what it, it, that the was, variables were incorrect for our data. That was the that was the end result of the conversation, which is is that like the thing uh, if you were to do it and do it right, and it's going to look exactly like the accusation that it is evilly manipulated. To what end can I even satisfy this conversation? Right, exactly. <laughs> right, I can't do anything about it. Uh, anyway, this is into uh, the article. Secular community organizers. Uh, are trying their hardest every day to prove that Sosis is right, that their non-religious congregations can provide the same fulfillment as religious ones. Some have spent time researching what makes a lasting religious community, hoping to reverse engineers machinery for secular use. Sunday Assembly's Sanderson Jones, for example, has developed a framework of five core components in any congregation. Here we go. All right. Community life. Transformational gatherings. Personal growth. Helping others. Changing the world. Yeah. Does this may sound like clumsy marketing speak? It can feel awkward to watch a so-called atheist church work out its evangelization strategy in real time. Then again, and here's the thing: I I, I think you've separated the, this article has separated itself too far from the normal church world. We are talking about people who are, who are imperfect people trying to follow a perfect God. This sense of awkwardness and not quite getting it right or whatever, I think exists in a lot of yeah, that's countries. there too. Yeah, we're like you know we're we're doing our best here, human humanizing what it looks like to follow a creator God. So I mean. Uh, you're not the only one with these kind of tra- challenges. Says then again, traditional religious groups have spent hundreds of thousands of years figuring out how to get people in the door. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of years. Hundreds of thousands of years. <laughs> what? That's just poorly written. Well, they've done their research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, in fact uh, even even. I've been doing this since the Mesozoic era. <laughs> I don't mean to go, you know hyper new or anything but even second corinthians has a whole section on how to get people in the door (laughs) (laughs) what the heck (laughs) i feel like you've not taken in any of the religious texts that i'm familiar with uh uh, drink my blood let's see who stays (laughs) uh anyway then again traditional religious groups spent hundreds of thousands of years figuring out how to get people in the door we just aren't seeing the shaky early experiments happen in front of us again i'm not sure this now here i'm gonna make two uh things things are gonna sound converse um, I think the things uh, in supporting this, I think the things that worked, say, 2,000 years ago or 8,000 years ago work today, pointing people to the true God. I, 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 yeah. I think they work. So uh, it's going to sound like I'm agreeing with them. But then again, like the, the, the human means of which you otherwise get people's attention and what holds their attention long enough for them to take in something true uh, are certainly not the same from, say, 2,000 years ago. 200 years ago, 200 days ago. I was going to say, yeah. Let alone 100,000 years hundreds, ago. Hundreds of thousands of years. <laughs> uh, let's see. Some leaders of a Sunday assembly in Oasis told me they're trying to make those weekly meetings so interesting, so entertaining, so powerful that people will keep showing up, and that's where they completely lost me. Uh, and I felt some sense of where the church can make the same mistake. Because, uh, again, the thing that I do believe is the same over time over time is is – is through whatever means you're introducing people to the true God to the extent that your focus, your primarily mechanism is to make interesting, entertaining, and powerful meetings um, that are absence of people meeting the true God, uh, they will otherwise render. Yeah. And that's true in the church, and it's true in the Sunday secular congregation. And so um, it's interesting that the things that we are, t- we are talking about on the right ways to approach people's humanity <laughs> and, and can hold and keep their attention to say something true um, are the same things that the secular church community is looking at and going, heck yeah, <laughs> let's embrace that. that. It's working for the church. Right, exactly. And the church is, is asking, 
this is working. Is it doing what we want it to do? And some means yes, and some means it's mm-hmm. not. We're having a refining conversation. Uh, they're jumping in full hawk into the deep end. Uh, it, it, he says the quality of the content is what keeps people coming back. I don't know. I don't know. There's plenty of there's plenty of, of churches knocking out like true quality content. Uh, people will leave in the face of quality content that they do not personally like. And yep. that, and that, frankly, I think seems like ten times the risk in a secular church. Again, because you're 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 talking about folks who are more likely to be like, you know, I believe what I believe, and so like I don't really need you telling me what to believe. And so if you say things that I don't like, I won't come back. Yeah, you're fishing, and your only draw is make, to make sure the lure is shiny. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, we can we can share an ale over your troubles in this care in this area, but uh, the quality of content is, is isn't necessarily what keeps people coming back. And I would say, to the extent that it is, you have just started a series of event planning, uh, of which yeah. you are ill prepared, poor fundraising, uh, and are, are in for a, a terrible world heartache. Uh, this doesn't like I like you. You may be calling it a church community, but like uh, you're you're a, you're an event planner, right? Um, and, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's weird. Like, uh, that, that really, I think the way to sum this up, then the way to rescue these things is, um, at least for, if, if, if the core goal is to say, how do these things sustain, regardless of what I think about the fact that they're happening. But if you wanted to sustain an organization, uh, it sounds like your best option is to come up with a focused moral center, even if it expresses itself as simply, look, we're raising, we're, our job is that we want to help blind people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's even if that's your core. Uh, people can get around yeah, that. Yeah, people will show up to that. Yeah. 100%. Yep. Um, let's see if it... Oh, shoot. Um, for those who stick... Oh, uh, let's follow up with Justina. Um, Justina Walford, uh, for her part, has been without a community since the New York Sunday Assembly closed down. After a relocation to Dallas, she tried out a Southern Baptist church near her home, and she loved it. She loved the services, the singing, the people, but the more enmeshed she became, the guilter she felt about the secret she was carrying... She didn't believe in God, so she stopped showing up. Sometimes she thinks about starting a Sunday assembly chapter in Dallas, but the idea is daunting. She knows now how much work it is and how much it hurts when things fall apart. For those who stick with Sunday assembly or Oasis, the challenge now is to make the community last beyond their own generation and to find new congregants as the number of non-believers grows. Organizers hope that the other adults will see how wonderful it is to be accepted and accepting, to sing Bon Jovi badly in an abandoned church. Oh, they're doing it in a church. I mean, I, I don't care, but I do care. Uh, or hear a talk about quantum physics in a local Y with other like-minded and familiar people. And that, having had these experiences, they'll keep showing up. Hold up. One of the ways that they were bringing people in were talks about quantum physics? Yeah. Wow. I mean, don't get me wrong. I actually dig on that stuff, and it's, it's pretty cool when you break that stuff down and hear someone who's passionate about quantum physics talk about it. But, like, I'm weird, though. And I'm currently wearing a Star Wars shirt. So I can't imagine there's that many people that are like, hey, man, you know what's happening this week? We're going to go talk about quantum physics. Uh, yeah. Ben, has that ever attracted you to show up to a group? Uh, no, here's the deal. I don't like groups. And so you might <laughs> say, here's a video about quantum physics. And I'm like, I might check that out. Uh, as a matter of fact, I started randomly reading a calculus textbook on, that I found online that was really quite good. Uh, but, I mean, if you said, here's a community of people talking about calculus, I'd be like, no. No, I no, I will not awful. be there. <laughs> yeah, you are like a lot. The Lord Jesus is the only one, frankly, that has compelled me into any sense of community. <laughs> I would hermit myself with the See, options. See, that's the only way it works. <laughs> Jesus is the only one who brings the introverts to the He's community. He's done it. 
Uh, okay. Anyway, that was it. That was a long one. Sorry. Um, I I think there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting stuff, and I think I, I think if we make a mistake though if we don't recognize that there are sections when we see those articles about the the nuns and whatever um, uh, in ONES that have have a desire that I believe is innate for community. Um, somehow they've they've either not misunderstood or been misrepresented by um, uh, or not understanding Jesus. Like to have so want the thing that that exists as it does because of Jesus, how could I possibly look and say that Jesus is or tr- real or true? Um, like the the nature of the community around it at least somewhat implies that there that there is something there. Uh, although you could make that same case for every other religion that isn't Christianity, they look it implies that there's something there. Right, so yeah, that doesn't hold. I take that back. <laughs> okay, all right, Buba, you had a day. Oh man, do we have time? Yeah, we got time. All right. Um, yeah, I I really did have have quite a bit of a day uh, today. It's actually been a couple of days running um, that that I've been having some issues. And so, people who've been listening to the show for a long time probably uh, at least some semblance or a bit of this story. But um, so I've actually so the last couple of days have been kind of rough, for me, and they kind of came to a head uh, in the last I'd say fifteen hours. Um, so tomorrow's my birthday, um, and I'm, I, I, I kind of dread that day, to be honest. Um, so I lost my parents uh, about a decade ago, uh, lost my dad when I was 18, lost my mom when I was 19, um, and that was kind of the beginning of it. Uh, you know, I lost my uncle a couple years after that, I was very close with, and actually I shared a birthday with, and so it's his birthday now too, and this is, I think, the sixth one, sixth or seventh one since he's passed away. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years after that, my grandmother passed away. And so the majority of my father's side of the family has all passed away. And like, I've just, I've, I've lost a lot of people. And I don't say that to, to give a woe is me. It just kind of gives context here. Um, and so, you know, this, this, uh, some things are happening in my life that, um, that I'm, I'm having to make a lot of major changes. And, you know, I've been a big guy my whole life and I've, I've struggled with, um, addiction to food and I've struggled with, you know, being overweight. I've lost hundreds of pounds from my peak weight, but I'm still not healthy. And I still, I still uh, have a lot of struggles with that and have a lot of issues. And, uh, within the last week, I've actually kind of, I, I hit a low point last week and I had to go to the hospital. Um, and I was in the hospital, uh, and they, uh, so I have, I'm a type two diabetic and my blood sugar was over 400. And so I went to the hospital, um, and, uh, um, t- took my blood sugar, gave me some insulin and uh, there was uh, some scare, uh, about, uh, diabetic ketoacidosis which is basically what happens is your blood sugar is so high, your kidneys and your lungs stop functioning properly. So your kidneys actually stop filtering through most of, of the liquids in your body um, and getting rid of the liquids in your body. And so you, your body stops expelling the acid that builds up um, the natural way it's supposed to through your renal system. And so basically they took my blood and there was acidosis in it, which means that there's acid buildup. And so that affects things very quickly. And so that's kind of the step before going into a coma uh, when you're a diabetic is diabetic ketoacidosis or what they call DKA. And so I've been a diabetic, uh, at least diagnosed for about five years now, six years maybe. Um, And I've never come that far into it. I've never tested positive for any kind of acidosis and it was scary. And so that led me to this, this crisis where I was like, you know, I need to start losing weight and, you know, need to get back on the horse and start doing this stuff. And so I started, uh, I, I decided I was actually going to fast uh, last Wednesday when I got back from the, the hospital and it, it went pretty well. And, um, you know, that kind of led up to this thought process that I've been running into recently that, you know, I need to start, uh, I need to start giving things to God more and stop fighting the way that I'm fighting. 
right? Like my weight loss has always been a thing that I've fought for. I've been the one on the front lines, whether that's decisions that I've made to get healthier, whether it's I've done a diet plan that was fairly strict or whether I started working out or built some kind of health regimen that was, that was to, to make me lose weight. And I've always failed every single time I failed. And it, 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 even if it was under some length of success, whether it was I'd lost a couple hundred pounds, like I just said, or I would go a couple weeks without eating like crazy or no binging or anything like that, it always ended in some amount of failure. And so um, this last week has been really rough for me uh, because I decided to do a Daniel fast. Um, and it's kind of from the scripture in Daniel 3 and Daniel 10. Um, not kind of, it is exactly from there. And so the, 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 the scripture in Daniel 10 talks about eliminating delicacies and meat. And, uh, uh, I, I drank no wine is what he says. Um, and so there's a lot of different interpretations on what that means. And you can break down the Hebrew of what delicacies means and things like that. But a lot of people break it down to be kind of like a vegan diet where you, uh, uh, kick away any animal products, no meats, no no animal products like uh, dairy or anything like that. You're eating basically vegetables, fruits, grains, um, things like that, and that's important. Kind of, most people kick out sweets of some kind so they don't eat candy, even though there's no animal proteins in most of that. Um, and they kick out you know caffeine and stuff like that. I've decided to do a fairly strict version where I basically break out everything besides you know um, legume, legumes, uh, 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 vegetables, uh, uh, fruits, and nuts and stuff like that. Pretty much all I eat. And so all that to say, uh, within the last 12 to 15 hours, um, I'm not sleeping very well and, and I didn't really sleep last night. And so I woke up uh, today about five hours after I planned on it. Um, couldn't sleep last night, got to bed around 630 in the morning and then finally went uh, fell asleep and woke back up. And I was just hitting really, really low. Like I just woke up, I mean, just depressed um, and, and I go to counselor for, for my depression and things like that. And I've, I've been diagnosed with PTSD because of, uh, you know, my mom, um, actually committed suicide and, and attempted pretty much through the majority of my, my, uh, the latter half of my childhood, um, and, you know, losing my dad and losing a lot of other people. So like I, I, I've been diagnosed with PTSD. I've, I've been diagnosed with severe depressive disorder and, you know, I have anxiety and things like that. And so I've been battling those fairly hard, uh, recently and, and I've been, fairly successful but sometimes i hit a low and today was probably one of the worst lows i've hit in a very very long time um and so i just woke up really late and i just i had no desire to get out of bed um and was just laying there just hurt and sad and like i have i have this insane fear of failure um that irrationally stems from a lot of personal problems that i have like i i i was talking to ben about this before the show and i'll I'll share a small portion of it not all of it um, but like I have a fear of failure because of the fact that like I equate all of the loss that's happened in my life irrationally to be some sort of failure on my part. And so like my mom attempted suicide first when I was 11 years old um, and I had to save her. I had to pick her up out of her bed. She had just taken a bottle of pills and drank a bottle of vodka. I was 11 years old and I picked my mom and carried her into the bathroom and woke her up and called 911 and had to get them to come and, and basically save her life and pump her stomach and stuff. And it just kept happening. Every six to eight months, like clockwork, my mom would start drinking again and then attempt suicide again. And um, for eight years of my life, that was it. And so basically what, what's happened in, in my brain is this thought process that if I wouldn't have failed so hard at being a son, my mom would have wanted to stay around. And that's irrational, and it's not true. And I won't go uh, in depth into that. My mother was a great mother, and I, she did not make me feel inadequate as a son. But it, it just that's how it happened. 
and losing my dad, my thought process in, in a brain that's kind of riddled with trauma, I think to myself, you know, if I just would have tried harder with him and if I would have lost weight with him, then he wouldn't have had a heart attack and died when I was 18, which is untrue, but it's how I've rationalized. And so that's led up to this, this insane and built up fear of loss and failure in my life. And so I woke up this morning in this thought process that I was just ready to fail at this thought and just ready to fail at, at this Daniel fast. And my thought process was, if I quit, I'm exercising some semblance of control. If I just quit, there's control in quitting. I'm making a conscious decision to be done. If I fail, there's fear in that because there are, there's letdowns to it. I'm letting myself down. That means I actually attempted and wasn't good enough. Whereas if I quit, it has nothing to do with me being good enough. I can rationalize it as, no, I just I made the choice to quit, right? And so I woke up feeling that way, and I was just I was feeling rough, and like it literally it, it came to a head that I was seriously, and, and I'm trying to battle embarrassment, but also be open about this. I was literally laying in bed, and I was clutching my pillow, and I was bawling. I mean, I was in I was in serious serious tears, and like I was I was I was my it was dripping off of my face. I was crying so hard, and I could barely speak. I couldn't breathe, and it was just it was the it was the for lack of a better term, weakest and most depressed I've felt in years. And it was, it was horrifying. And I was scared. And I, was, I, I literally, I feel like I seriously regressed to when I was 11. And like that, I had the fear of a child in my brain. And it was crazy. And so I share all of this to say that this beautiful thing has happened to me recently. And I was reminded of it today. And, and, it, and it hit me really hard. And uh, within the last week, I've read this story probably 10 times, but when I was thinking about how I was going to battle this and start losing weight again and get better and things like that, um, interestingly enough, God led me to, uh, to the story of Gideon. And uh, in Gideon, the, the, the concept that after the, after the fleece and, and that part of the story, it goes to he's battling the, uh, the Midianites and the Amalekites and then a couple of other, uh, other armies that are banded against Israel. And like they're they're innumerable. They show up, and and the 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 thing is, they're like locusts, and there are so many of them. They descend upon the crops and upon the livestock of the Israelites, and they just can't be counted. There's that many, and so God shows up to Gideon, or sends an angel to to speak to Gideon and say, you know, you will be the one to deliver the Israelites from this army. And Gideon goes through the fleece and says, are you sure it's me, God? If, if, if it's truly you, you know, let the fleece be damp and everything else be dry. And then, okay, you did that, but if it's really you, let everything else be damp and the fleece be dry. And then that shows up. God calls him. And so he shows up. And he shows up with 32,000 soldiers. And God looks at this group of soldiers and, and says, there's too many. There's too many. And Gideon's kind of just sitting there like, wait, what, what do you mean there's too many? There's 32,000. We're going against armies that are innumerable. God, this is not too many. And God uh, responds with, if you go with too many, basically, you're, the boast will be for Israel. It won't be for me. The win will go to you and not to me if you show up with so many soldiers. And so he says, basically, just take a, toll of, uh, a pull of who wants to be here and who wants to go. And so they lose like 20,000 soldiers doing that. And there's still 12,000 soldiers or so. And so God says, it's still too many. There's still too many soldiers. It will still be to your boast and not to mine. Lead them to the water. Have them drink. Separate those that lap up water like a dog with those that kneel to drink. And so he does that. And there are only about 300 that, that lapped up water like a dog. And God says, send them. 
I think that's funny, by the way. He chose the dog lappers. Oh, totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's a certain desperation for the water that happens when you're a, when you're a dog lapper. Yeah, like it's, yeah, yeah. You, it doesn't matter. It's not about presenting yourself and kneeling and sipping from your there's hand. There's no it's, cooth. Exactly. You drop and you drink like a dog. You are thirsty. And God says, take the 300 there and go to the, to the Midianites, and that will be who you battle with. And so it's this beautiful story of God's identity to, to, to Gideon, and he's letting him know, the numbers are not important to me. That is not how I battle. It does not matter if they're innumerable. It doesn't matter how many there are. I am your God. I am Yahweh. I am your Father. I am is the one who sent you. You will take the 300, and I promise you, you will not die. That's exactly what he says to him. He promises him that he will not die. He is saying that he's his safety and Gideon responds by building an altar and saying, God is my peace. And that's so important there. And so I've taken that story and I've run with it because for years I have failed at this. For years I have failed at being good enough to battle my addictions, to battle my depression, to battle my circumstances. I am not good enough to do it. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the right battle, right? And God showed up and showed off and said to me, dude, you don't need to be the one that fights. Stop fighting. You are not the warrior in this. I am. You are not the fighter in this. I am. You cannot defeat it, but guess who can? And it was this beautiful moment of realization to where I was not trusting God with something that I thought had more power over me than he had power over it. And that hit me hard today because that's exactly how I woke up. I woke up thinking, God, you are not strong enough to beat this. You are not trustworthy enough for me to give in to you. You are not faithful enough to keep your promises. And it was a low point for me. And I was in desperation. I was crying for my, for my life. My heart was broken. And in this moment, I realized, I was like, I'm sitting here fearing failure towards a God that I feel like I should be running to right now, but I'm not. And my failure says, run further. But the truth says, no, 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 no. Just because your faith is failing does not mean God is. Just because your trust in him is, is failing does not mean God is failing. He is your rock. He is your peace. Run to him even in your failure. And run to him even in your heartache. He is holding his arms wide open for you to run back to him. And so in this, in this primal moment, I decided that I was either going to do one of two things. I was going to quit and I was going to run and I was going to fail and fail epically. And when I fail in this stuff, it is rough. I will be gone for months. People will not speak to me. My shame will take me captive and hold me in shackles. Or I have the choice to run to my father, the creator of this universe, and say, Dad, I am not strong enough and I can't fight. I need you to go fight for me. And that's exactly what I did. And I started crying out to God and telling him, Father, I'm not strong enough for this. I'm not good enough for this. I do not trust you in this. Help my unbelief. Father, I need you to show up right now and shatter my enemies. (laughs) I mean, psalmist style. I need them under your feet. You trample my fear right now. You trample my inadequacy and you trample my faithlessness. And I need you to take charge of my heart and run to that. And it was one of the most liberating moments of my entire life when I realized there is not a single thing in my life that is an ailment, that is a hurt, that is a sin, that is, is a deprivation of my actual nature as a son of Christ, that God is not strong enough to trample. 
and that he is not faithful enough to take care of and handle. And I've never given that to him like I did today. And you know what I did today? You know what I did all day today? I laid in bed and I prayed about it. And I talked to him about it. And I didn't binge eat for the first time in my life when it came to those depressive moments. I didn't run to go crazy. I decided that my binging was a spoonful of peanut butter and I decided to make bread. That's ridiculous. I decided to, to knead bread with my hands and to recognize that he is my sustenance and he keeps me going and he's the reason for living. He is my father and he is my king. He is faithful and he is my peace. And just like Gideon, I didn't need 32,000 to go and battle the Midianites. I just needed God on my side and his promises to hold on to in trust and in faith and I know that I'm not done or out of the weeds, but I can promise you I saw a glimpse of my triumphant king father today, and it was beautiful. It was a very, it's, uh, well, I, we, we kind of talked about this a little bit. Like, there's, there's aspects of that that are very unique to you, and then I think there are aspects of that that, like, everybody, everybody goes through. Everybody has, has moments of, um, uh, of, of up against something or other yeah. of which they have attempted on their own to defeat. Right. And have found that it defeats them. I'm Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, and humanity, the humanity within it says, I need to be stronger. I need to fight harder. This is, this is a test of who, I, of who I am as a person. Right. Um, when at its core, like as we look at things rightly, um, it is, a, is, is often a test of our understanding of the faithfulness of God and our willingness to submit to it. Yeah. Um, and and there's, not, there's, not, there's not magic in it. And I think this is where people struggle, but you t- tell me if I'm wrong, but this is where we struggle was like, um, the fra- even the phrase, give it to God, is difficult for people because like that does, that, um, they don't know what to do. Like what right. does it mean to give it to God? Because if I say, okay, I give this to God, and I'm still sitting in my bed grabbing my pillow. Right, exactly. Wh- now what am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. Like I gave it to the Lord and He failed me because I'm still hugging pillow. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's it's we do we do not have an understandable measure of success. And is it is it because uh, as part of that as I think think through through your day um, is a misunderstanding of of success, yeah, a misunderstanding of what it is to conquer, to be, to win. Yeah, absolutely. I was still clutching my pillow in tears after I cried out to the Lord. His his help for me not was not to cure me immediately. Like, my expectation was not for God to be my genie, which I think is where we, where we miss the intention of it a lot. I think the whole concept of the give it to God is this thought process that, oh, God's powerful enough, therefore he will make it all nothing. All of it will go away. I won't remember my parents. I won't remember my fear of failure, anything like that. And it's wrong. God doesn't promise that. There's no promise ever that God is just going to eliminate all ailments here. That doesn't happen. Yep. And it's, it's unfortunate but it, because I think that's where a lot of people do lose faith is when we have expectations for what his power does, not is, but does, we run into problems. It's the same reason why pe- most people are afraid of praying for healing, legitimate healing, not just, oh, Lord, I hope you help the person that has cancer. But no, God, you control their cells. You control the universe, and all creation cries out to you. If you want to eliminate cancerous cells, there will not be a trace left. That is powerful healing. And we, we run into that because people think that, that when praying for that, God failed if that, if that person isn't healed. God failed if, if the lame 
don't walk. God failed if the deaf don't hear. God failed if the blind don't see. But that's not true because when you truthfully pray for that stuff, you realize the prayer isn't in the outcome. The prayer isn't in the in the solution. The prayer is in in giving up all expectations and giving into the will of the Creator. If it's in God's will that He makes the lame walk, they will walk. It will happen. If the if the will of the Creator is in the fact that yeah, I may still be sad about a lot of my situations, but I didn't fail today because I recognize that God is my success and my Father is where strength comes from and my Father is where peace comes from. If I look at Him like a genie, He failed me today. But if I look at Him like the bread of my life and the sustenance of the next day that I have, today was a beautiful success. It was a beautiful moment. Absolutely. Dan, you read, like, um, is that, do uh, you see some commonalities just in your life, like in your pastoral life, types of things that, like, that Buva was talking about today and kind of those, yeah. I don't know, turning points or whatever for folks on being able to trust God with, with things like that? Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's, it's kind of funny, as, as a, a young preacher, I remember, it's one of the buzzwords, give it to Jesus. Yeah. And, and I, I'd said it many times, and one day I thought to myself, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> you know? It's just a phrase. It's, someone probably asked me, how do you do that? I thought, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean really, uh, you know, just give it to the cross, you'll go to Jesus. You, know, <laughs> you have all these little phrases we throw out that sound good and religious and spiritual, but, but people are honestly wanting i want to give it to jesus right i I want to and i'm struggle with that and i don't know how and and i still don't know (laughs) you know and now i've gone through some of the overeaters anonymous stuff and i thought what you said is echoing exactly what that is you know Mm -hmm. of course they'll they'll say higher power or alcohol you know all all the anonymous um, but but we know who the higher power is absolutely you you know the, the the one who called the 300 is 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 him and um, so that is, that is the challenge to guide people on that walk when we're all walking it at the same time. Right. You know, all I can say is, well, come with me uh, and, and, and uh, let, let's, let's do this. Uh, and you're going to have those moments and, and you just call out to God and ask for help right. like you did, you know. And, and then still, you still have to get up and make that bread oh, yeah, or, exactly. or, you know, right. not have six big macs right exactly uh, yes. you, you know and that's that's hard that's hard yeah. there's effort there is effort involved oh absolutely yeah but but you you call out on, the, on god and his power and in his help and his guidance and that that's in people trying to get out of affairs to people with you know alcohol or drug addictions or food right. or you know you name it we all there's we all have our thing um it's 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 it breaks my heart to, to walk that path with so many people. Like, I don't know if, it, if we are more addictive now than we ever have been or if it's just now we talk about it more right, or something. Yeah. Right. But it just seems like we're, everybody's addicted to something. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, and, and, and gosh, I wish it wasn't so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Agreed. <laughs> right. I mean, because I'm there too. You know, like I say, I, I'm, the, I'm on the food thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny because now that you bring up this whole give it to God thing, I, I, I still, even after today, I have no idea what that means. Yeah. Like, I, I cannot, I cannot. I just gave it to God. I cannot define it uh. and I cannot quantify it. <laughs> I, I, there wasn't any specific action. It was just, it was the choice of the matter that was, 
Father, you are my strength. Yeah, I think and, it's give this moment to no, God. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, yeah, I would agree with that more. Yeah. yeah. I did, can, can he's I get, done now. Right. My addiction yeah. isn't gone. Like, I'm not going to wake up yeah. tomorrow and suddenly not want food. Like, I'm, I'm certain that I will want. That's, that's the whole reason I'm doing this, this, this fast is the concept that food is an idol for me. It is something that gets in the way of God and I. I'm running to it for sustenance, for for. For strength, I, I run to it from an emotional perspective. When I'm having a bad day, I want to eat. To be communal with people, I want to eat. It defines me. And I'm tired of being defined by it and not the, the, the creator of this universe. I want Yahweh to be the thing that sustains me. Or I want, I want God to be the one that is my bread and my water, things like that. And so, like, I, I don't know how to, to quantify the statement of give it to God. All I know is, is that it was a, it was a moment of, of, revelation of identity to me that that i can trust him and that's not to say that i won't have a weak moment tomorrow right you right. know it's not fixed the ailment isn't gone and i won't be i won't be i won't be trusting forever for the rest of my life but i can certainly call upon this and it's it's kind of the same concept that i've been that ben and i have actually been talking about for a couple weeks of 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 putting up altars you know i want to put up an altar today to let the, let everyone know that god is trustworthy and God is faithful. Today is proof of that. I woke up not being able to handle the stressors of the day, and I ran to God with my problems. And for lack of a better phrase, I gave it to God, and and I I found success in Him. And that's exactly what happened. Was was when I stopped realizing, that, or when I stopped thinking about myself as the one that's fighting, just decided to step back and be let the God be the one who fought for him. He's the one who tramples my enemies, not me. I've never understood David in the Psalms more than today with the whole God trample my enemies under your feet. Uh, you know, it, it, bring them to me broken down. Exactly what happened today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I had enemies this morning and I was not the one who needed to go out to battle. God was. And that's exactly what happened. You know, there's there's this verse in Psalm 20 that's, I think it's 27. It's, it, it, it's some trust in chariots and others in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. And that's exactly true. God doesn't fight conventionally. It doesn't matter what swords he has, and it doesn't matter how many camels he has, and whether there's chariots involved. It's just him that that causes victory. And that's throughout the Bible. The, the major battle scenes that we see in the Old Testament, all the way up to the battle scene in Revelation, God's presence and existence is what, what, what defines that win. And it's actually kind of funny in Revelation. There's really no battle. Jesus just shows up and right. everything's done. Yeah, but uh, uh, but but that's it. He's the vic- he's victory, and it's for his boast today. If I would have just gone through today and said, "Yeah, I went great, and my addiction sucked, but I had a great day, and I just didn't eat," there's one thing. But instead, I get to boast for the name of the Lord because I ran to Him and cried out to Him as my Papa and as my Father to to handle the situation, to trample underfoot, and now I get to boast for His glory today rather than my own. And I just now recognize that until right now. That's exactly how that happened. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you are. Uh, that was encouraging. Uh, thank you for Boo for sharing uh, on kind of what's going on, uh, things that God has done. Right. Yeah. Um, and actually, so uh, and I'll, I'll make this super quick. But like um, uh, this, this seems minor. This was a big thing to me. I um, I've been struggling the last few weeks just on on stuff that I've been teaching, and it just didn't feel like it was going well and i was worrying that i like i um god's word is good and when i don't do a good job i'm like crap <laughs> i'm not being faithful in the things i'm trying to do and so um 
I I, I was real close to that even this Sunday just before I was going to start talking on stuff and I just I just was was praying and someone got I just I need you to sort this out for me because like however I'm thinking about I just can't get it sorted out and um within the within kind of two minutes of as I was praying that thing things just kind of aligned and it wasn't miraculous uh like I I wasn't I didn't do anything uh, genius on, on on what I taught about but like um God cleared a path. For something that that has been a, I've been struggling with for the last three weeks, and uh, there is no explanation. My I'd been thunking about it. Uh, I'd done plenty of that, and it not resolved itself. It resolved itself then, and so uh, uh, it's a just the same size altar. I'll build it right there. I think the Lord stepped in and helped me with something that I really needed help with, um, and trying to do something right in His service. And so that's awesome. Things that God has done. That's awesome. Good news. I love that. Okay. All right. Uh, we are going to skip uh, advice. Okay. Uh, no advice this week. Uh, so uh, we're glad. I thank you guys so much for hanging out. Like I said, we'll be out next week. Uh, that's on me because uh, I won't be here. Uh, but then we'll be back in the saddle starting back in August. And so we appreciate you hanging out. If you got anything you want to talk to us about, you can use the complaint line 515-517-0085. We do love to hear from you. Uh, and we do love uh, that you guys are, you know, spend time hanging out with us. I was looking actually, I just added um, a pod, the podcast. My, my oldest kid wanted to the Life from the Path podcast on her phone, and uh, got 200 episodes going back just five years. On there's plenty of Life from the Path to dig up on as we're out a week. So you want to do that? Go ahead and jump in. Uh, in the meantime, be faithful means God will handle the ends. You've been listening to Life from the Path. <laughs>